are you? Hey, Ren. Good, thanks. How about you? Yeah, I'm good. I hope I'm not calling at a bad time. No, this is a very good time, especially considering that we made the appointment, right? Yeah, no, that's true. Listen, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast for a second time. I'm so happy to be back. We had a great conversation the first time. Yeah, absolutely. And this time we have a special edition because we are going to talk about your newly released book, The Eggs Benedict Option. Well, should I say our book because you wrote the preface? Well, it is your book and you gave me the great honor of asking me to write the foreword, which, you know, was wonderful. And uh, as I told you before, I, I had a lot of pressure because the book was so good to do a good job with the foreword. Well, you certainly didn't disappoint, Noor. You wrote, you wrote a wonderful, wonderful preface. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the book is exceptional and timeless and timely, and uh, listeners will understand why it's very urgent. They need to pick up a copy by the end of the call, I'm sure. Let's hope so. Let's hope I, uh, I make the case for the Eggs Benedict option. Yeah, let me introduce it briefly. And you, if uh, listeners are finding out about you for the first time, though I encourage them uh, to go listen to our first call as well. I'll put all the links in the description, of course. But, uh, yeah, for those who've been paying attention and who've done a bit of research, it's so obvious that the globalists have been waging a war against humanity on multiple fronts. It's a war against our mind, our body, and our soul. And you, Ren, you've really been at the forefront as a globalist warrior calling out these machinations uh, with a specific focus on the body front. So, you know, on your different platforms, social media, through your uh, various works, you know, your magazine and your previous books, you've documented and shared the various methods and policies that have weakened and harmed us to a great extent. And it culminates with the eggs benedict option. And uh, I'll let you describe what it is you wanted to achieve uh, with the book and what the book is about. So you'll, you'll be in a better position to do that than, than I am. So the floor is yours. Well, one of the things I wanted to do with the uh, eggs benedict option was annoy Rod Dreher, which I think I've probably managed to do, although he hasn't actually responded, but the title alone uh, should have uh, annoyed him sufficiently, so I think I've achieved that. But the main objective with the book was to write an explanation of what's really going on with The Great Reset and write my account of The Great Reset. I wanted to write something about The Great Reset that would be uniquely mine. Interestingly, Alex Jones has also released a book about the Great Reset in August. I didn't have any clue that he would be doing that, but he did. And I think the Eggs Benedict option is a very different book from his book because the main focus is food. Because everybody knows these slogans, catchphrases, call them what you will, you will eat some bugs. They've seen the ridiculous articles about the, the bizarre, disgusting foods that we're supposedly going to be eating when 2030 rolls around and the globalists have implemented the Great Reset. But the truth is that actually there's much, much more to the Great Reset vision of food than just eating bugs. Food is fundamental to the Great Reset. That is the central premise of the book, that we can't understand the Great Reset without understanding the way that the globalists want us to eat in 2030. And... 
the relationship between food and social control is a very, very ancient theme. And so I start the book in my own preface after your preface by talking about Plato's Republic and by talking about the discussion of food, the very short discussion, but very telling discussion of food that takes place in book two of Plato's Republic, where he talks about how Plato Socrates talks about how the ideal republic would have to be a vegetarian republic. And if the workers were allowed to eat meat, then that would lead to all sorts of uh, kind of uh, discord and conflict within society, and it would no longer be harmonious. So we've got this very, very striking and ancient notion that actually you can transform the way a society the totality of a society and the way that everybody behaves within that society by changing their diet. So this is the fundamental insight, and it's the insight that I begin the book with and that I pursue throughout the book, uh, to look at the ways that the globalists really want to change the way that we eat and, as a result, change the way that we live. So the first half of the book, I'm diagnosing the problem. I'm looking at all of the... All of the uh, white papers and articles and reports and books that the globalists, Klaus Schwab, other people have published about the future of food and what they really want to do. And so I look at something called the Planetary Health Diet, which is the product of a non-profit foundation called the EAT Foundation, which is a partner of the World Economic Forum and also a partner of other organizations like the Rockefeller Foundation. Um, so the first half of the book is the diagnosis. I'm looking at what's, uh, what's going to happen, what they want to happen by 2030. And central to this, this diagnosis is a comparison with the effects of what I call the original Great Reset, which is the Neolithic revolution in food. So that's when agriculture was first, was first invented and became widespread in the Near East about 10,000 years ago, which led to the creation of the first states. And there are all sorts of very, very close similarities between what took place then and what will probably happen uh, if the globalists get their way. So it's a, it's a detailed philosophical, historical account, uh, nutritional account, because I look at the, I look at the um, probable physical nutritional effects of, of the diet that the globalists want us to eat. Um, and then the second half of the book is the Eggs Benedict option. That's my answer to the Great Reset. So I didn't want the book simply to be a, an assortment of very, very depressing facts because, you know, when you, when you start reading a lot of this stuff, it is depressing what the globalists want us to do. It's, it's, evil, and, it's evil and upsetting and uh, liable to make you uh, very black-pilled indeed. So I wanted to give a, a blueprint for us to resist the Great Reset, and that's what I do in the second half. I look at ways that we can implement a local nationalist food system in order to resist the Great Reset and restore our individual and national sovereignty at the same time. So I look at uh, Russian household gardening, which is a local small-scale practice that millions of ordinary Russians take part in, produce their own food using time-honoured methods. Uh, and I also look at regenerative farming at the work of people like Joel Salatin in order to uh, propose changes to the broader, to the broader system of uh, industrial farming in the developed world. And I wrap it all up 
in a sort of uh, populist garb. I think that small-scale farming could be the basis of a renewed populism in the US and elsewhere, and that this is precisely what we need to fight the Great Reset. So it's a, it's a book in two parts, basically. It's a diagnosis and a solution. Yes, this is precisely the strength of the book, is that first you frame and name the problem, and then you come up with the solution. So let's look at the first part, uh, namely the problems. And it's not only about what they want to do, but it's also about everything they've done so far. And it is such a black pill, because when you look at the past hundred years, and you look at essentially what has been a eugenicist program, aptly rebranded as population control, you just see the level of evil and the lengths to which they've gone to weaken us. And as I wrote in the preface, weak populations are easier to control. And as you wrote, you know, food control as a form of social control. And you just look at the slew of negative consequences from the transformation of the food that we eat, the degenerative diseases, the change in physiognomy, the decline in fertility. I mean, the list is very long and you go through all of it. Very matter of fact, you know, I mean, as I wrote in the, in the, in the preface, they'll, they call us conspiracy theorists, but, you know, we're just stating facts here. And what is very strong as well with your book is that it's not conjecture. You look at proper statements that they've made and official documentation and statistics, etc. So your book really, as you say, diagnoses the problem and the consequences of the corporatization of agriculture and the industrialization of the farming system and how the capture of the entire food supply chain has enabled them to degrade the quality of the food we consume with the aim of weakening us. So that's the first part. Yes, yeah. And I think one of the one of the very important takeaways from the book should be that the great reset isn't isn't really a break from the present. The great reset is really just an intensification of the present of the present terrible situation we find ourselves in with regard to food, food supply, corporate control of food production and agriculture. These are trends that have been that have been developing over the past hundred years, and all that the globalists really want to do with the Great Reset is to intensify these trends. I, I keep saying to turn them up to eleven. That's what they're doing. They're turning them up to eleven. They're making them as bad as they possibly could be, mainly by ensuring that the corporate takeover of agriculture is complete. So that is one of the that is one of the principal. The principal aims of the Great Reset is to ensure total corporate control of the food supply, which they'll do through a variety of means. The use of genetically modified organisms, which can be patented so they can be owned. The use of uh, novel forms of plant-based protein that can also be patented again and totally controlled by corporations. They are, they're, they're, simply, they're simply looking to complete the, the coup I suppose you could call it that has been carried out over the last hundred years the loss of the loss of sovereignty of the individual and of nations um, they want to make they want to make that totally complete but as you say uh, to pick up another another thread uh, from what you say all of this is 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 documented all of this is written down 
there are videos of globalists making statements uh, to the effect that they you know, that they want to do all of this. You just need to look in the right places. So the book isn't conjecture. I'm not. It's not a conspiracy theory, as you say, because conspiracies are hidden for a reason, and none of this is hidden. It's all out there. You just have to go and look for it, and that's what I've done, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to educate people, to let people know exactly what is going on. So the book is, you know, the book is properly referenced. There's a there's a whole bibliography, so you can go and look at these documents yourself if you're in any way doubtful that these are the things that the globalists actually want to do. But I can assure you, they are, they are. Um, this is their aim. Now, and as you said, you know, you use the word intensification. And we are living through the final stages of the Great Reset, a.k.a. the New World Order, and it's happening in real time before our eyes. I mean, in the news recently, we've seen what's been happening with the farmers, you know, in the Netherlands and in other places. They are, they are throwing all their might into eradicating the little independent pockets of food production across the Western world. Yes, they definitely are, in the same way that they were destroying with the coronavirus pandemic, uh, with the social distancing measures and the social restrictions, in the same way that they were destroying small businesses. You know, who, who benefited, qui bono, from the, from the pandemic restrictions? Well, it was, the big, it was the big corporations, and it will only be the big corporations that benefit from the destruction of small farmers. It will hoover up the land, and it will be totally in their control. I mean, people don't know what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. One thing that's happening in Ukraine at the moment is the BlackRock, this enormous, don't know how you describe it, asset, mani- asset management fund, uh, investment fund, uh, has bought up a huge amount of Ukrainian land for farming. I mean, Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. Ukraine is a very, very important country for agriculture, as is Russia. And, yeah, it's, it's being totally... Um, totally asset stripped by these or um, asset mined by these uh, by corporations like BlackRock and other Western investment funds and this is just part of the broader plan which is to to control agriculture to squeeze the little man out so that um, we're totally dependent on corporations for uh, for everything we need including food completely and this manufactured crisis in the Ukraine the ramifications are that all these small businesses and independent businesses in the West are going to be further destroyed with the energy crisis, as we're seeing, you know, the energy bills uh, increasing, you know, tenfold in different countries, putting these independent businesses uh, out. And basically, all those who survived from the COVID measures now are being decimated due to the energy crisis. Anything that further erodes our independence and, as you said, our sovereignty is being pushed full throttle against us right now. We're in the midst of it. Yes, we are, and there's plenty more to come. This is something that I talk about in the book. I talk about the weaponization of inflation, for instance, which is, which is one way that they will wean us off or force us to stop eating the foods that we should be eating, to stop eating the nutrient-dense animal foods that we should be eating as humans that are essential to our flourishing. Um, So there was a very interesting or very telling article in the New York Times, an op-ed, a couple of months ago, which I talk about in the book, 
and the title of the op-ed was So You Want to Eat Meat in This Economy? And the the author of the, of the op-ed, I can't remember who it was, probably somebody awful, uh, was saying that... We're, say, we're saying the quiet part out loud, as, as we say. Um, was talking about the fact that inflation, and these were her words, inflation can be a driver of welcome change in behaviour. So they're very they're very well aware of the fact that actually inflation making meat expensive is a good thing at least seen from from their perspective you know that's that's a way to get people to uh, to stop eating meat and later on in the article or midway through the article um, the author actually talks about talks about the lever act which was an act that was enacted in 1917 after the United States joined the First World War, which allowed the government to requisition food supplies from ordinary people to prevent hoarding and also for, for the use of American forces in Europe. Uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy, somebody saying that actually maybe we could see the return of something like the Lever Act, where the government is able to requisition food from ordinary people, i.e. take people's meat away, is the implication. I mean... I, I can't. I can't say for sure what's going to come, but I can say I think that it's possibly going to be really crazy and uh, likely to surprise us all in its audacity and uh, wide-reaching consequences. Which is why the second part of the book, the eggs Benedict option, is so critical. And uh, while we're sitting here in relative comfort, I cannot stress the sense of urgency enough in terms of pushing back against these final stages of the Great Reset and the eggs benedict option as an antidote to the Great Reset is of vital importance because reclaiming our independence over the food we consume is so fundamental in terms of ensuring our, I'll go as far as to say, our, our survival as a species. So please tell us more about what it is you wanted to uh, put forward as a solution in that second part of the book? Well, what I think we really need, I think that we need the opposite of, of everything that the globalists are um, forcing on us with the Great Reset. So the change that the globalists want us to to undergo is, of course, predicated on climate change. So it's to save the environment. This is what they say. We have to, we have to respect the planetary boundaries. We have to uh, get our emissions down to meet the goals of the Paris Accords, and we also have to meet all sorts of other sustainable development goals, Agenda 2030, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So that's one part of of the plan, or that's one justification for the plan. And then the second is is population increase. So the world population will be 10 billion by 2050, they say, according to projection. And so we need to find a way to feed 10 billion people. And uh, they say that animal agriculture isn't sustainable to do that or sustainable to reduce emissions. So the globalists are offering, of course, a global solution to those problems. That is a global consolidation of the agricultural system, a global diet that we'll all eat, plant-based, almost entirely plant-based. This is the planetary health diet that I mentioned before. If I may just jump in, mm. so-called problems. Yes, yeah, of course, yeah, so-called, yeah. And this is one of the things, one of the things that I that I mentioned in the book is that I 
think that we need to we need to avoid playing their game when we are justifying ourselves, when we're justifying why we want to do the things we want to do. If you play the climate change game, you're playing according to their rules. If you talk about carbon emissions and sustainable development and all that kind of stuff, you're you're uh, you're playing by the globalist rules. You're on their territory. And the same with the population thing, with the 10 billion global population. It's not it's not immediately clear actually why somebody in America should uh, have to give up their way of life in order to, um, in response to, to you know, demographic changes in a part of the world that is that is very far away from America and actually has very little to do with America. So, I mean, both narratives on these two subjects are complete fabrications, but we're not going to get into that because otherwise the podcast would last uh, hours. Yeah. yeah let, let, let me get back to the to the ex Benedict option. So what I'm what I'm saying is that we need an option that is the that is the opposite of what the globalists are offering. So rather than some global system that is in the hands of global organisations, be they corp, global corporations, NGOs, governments, you know, organs of global government, we need a local system that restores sovereignty to individuals and their nations that caters to individual and uh, individual needs and, and the needs of local communities rather than rather than the profit margins of, of global corporations and the politicians who are in their pockets. So that's why I look to sustainable local systems of food production like Russian household gardening and on a slightly larger scale regenerative farming because what I'm looking for is ways in which people can assert themselves and assert their needs within a national food ecosystem, let's say. So I want I want people to be able to be in control again of the food that they eat and free from the malign influence of these corporations, global corporations, which have done so much to harm people over the past hundred years. I mean, the, the history of, of health in the 20th and 21st centuries is one of terrible decline and it is almost entirely due to the awful awful corporate controlled uh, agricultural food system that we that we uh, that we have to uh, that we have to deal with that, that provides the food that we eat we need to we need to move away from that we need to break the power of the corporations we need to go back to eating the life-giving foods that sustained our ancestors uh, that uh, and, and to produce them in a way that is organic, sustainable. Uh, in fact, we even need to go beyond sustainability. So that's one of the that's one of the things that I talk about: regenerative farming, which is farming practices that actually enhance the fertility of the soil, that increase biodiversity. And they're using time-honoured methods to go beyond simply the sustainability paradigm to uh, actually restore some of the some of the goodness that's been lost over the last hundred years. The second part of the book, The Ex-Benedict Option, was so uplifting and inspiring. And what I loved about it is that it gives such a good introduction and point of departure for us to go do more research on these practices, and especially on regenerative agriculture. And you use the example of Joel Salatin, who's a leading figure in, uh, in that practice. And it's astounding to see how we have all the solutions already, and it's fascinating 
to see the lengths through which they've gone to disconnect us of this knowledge and of these practices that are so fundamental, that are that are very nourishing on an individual level, but also in terms of building communities and fostering collaboration. They've sought to destroy so much in terms of what makes us human and what fosters good relationships amongst each other. Yes, they, yes, they have. I mean, the thing about the examples that I choose, the thing about the, the Russian household gardening example is that it's actually... This is something that's going on now in a modern industrialized nation of 150 million people. It's a predominantly urban nation now, Russia. Yet nonetheless, the majority of food that people eat, 50% of all food produced by value in Russia is produced by ordinary people in their own gardens and garden plots in the countryside. So there's no reason why a modern industrial nation can't rely heavily if not entirely, on local food systems of that kind. This isn't pie in the sky at all. This isn't, um, this isn't wishful thinking. These, this is an example you know, that, that, that really does prove that this is, this is perfectly feasible. And, and it wasn't so long ago that we, that we were doing the same thing no, exactly. in Europe and in America. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I talk about in the book, the fact that back-to-the-land drives have been successful in the past during wars, especially World War World War One and World War Two in the US and in the UK. Um, you can get people to do it. And I think I think that part of the part of the, the real the real battle is getting people to realise what the stakes are. If you can get people to understand what the globalists want to do to us, especially through this uh, looming transformation to the food system, then people might actually be prepared maybe to accept some significant changes to their way of life in order to avoid these awful, awful changes that the globalists want to bring in. Um, because, of course, it, I mean, it, it would require would require significant individual will, but it would also require significant political will. So I'm, I'm under under no illusions that this must be also a political movement. We, this has to be, this isn't just about individual people deciding to start, to start growing their own food, although that is part of it. This has to be a political movement too. We need, we need leaders who will stand up to the globalists and also make it easier for ordinary people to uh, produce their own food and to sell it and exchange it. Uh, I mean, one, one of the things that Joel Salatin has written about is about how how difficult it is as a small-scale farmer in the U.S. to get by and to do things that um, a small-scale farmer would want to do. So the title of one of his most famous essays, which later became a became a book, "Everything I Want to Do Is Illegal." It's such um, a brilliant title. It's it's a great title, but he's not joking. I mean, yeah. everything he wanted he he sort of basically wants to do as a small-scale farmer is or was illegal. And why is that? Because, well, that's because the, the food system in the U.S., because agriculture is arranged to benefit mega corporations. The, the agricultural system isn't arranged to benefit the little guy. It's to, ben it's to benefit Monsanto and uh, Cargill and, and all of these, you know, JBS, people like that. So we need politicians who are on the side of the small, of the little guy. We need people who will fight for ordinary people to reassert their right to the foods that they should be eating. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you. We need leading figures who will fight back and who will come into office or any leadership role and push for policies that will enable people to be self-reliant. But along with that, there really needs to be an understanding of the level of evil and perversion that has been going on because essentially for the past 70 plus years, everything they've told us to consume more or less has actually been poisonous and as you said earlier in the call we need to be doing the exact opposite of what they've been advocating and what they've been pushing but it comes people need to be aware of how it is they've poisoned us and you know it goes from the chemicals in the food and you know we can talk about geoengineering and so many different things different ways they've attacked our body and it's why your book I can't stress enough how important it is because you really draw the picture in such a methodical and documented way. That Comprehensive. Yeah, and it's very comprehensive so people can understand, okay, that's what's been done to us, and then you come up with the solutions that we know work. So it's very encouraging. Yeah, well, I yes, I wanted to provide a, a comprehensive answer to the Great Reset because because that's what we need. I won't say we're on borrowed time, but certainly the globalists have stolen a march on us. They've been doing this to us for a hundred years. They've taken control of the food supply, they've taken control of political of political life, of political institutions, of non-governmental institutions, civil society, and they've got a plan and they're implementing it and have been implementing it for some time. So we need our plan now and we need to start fighting back. And there is already there is already a lot of pushback. And you know, you only need to look again at um, what's going on in Holland with the small farmers. They are explicitly they are explicitly talking about the Great Reset, these farmers. They're saying we don't want the Great Reset. They know what's going on. They're aware that there is this global plan to uh, transform society and that they don't want it. So there is already a level of awareness. I think that the, I think that the ground is fertile for this kind of stuff. It's just a question of making sure, well, making sure that people read the book. So I'm trying to, uh, trying to publicize this as best I can, trying to get the word out. But I say in the book, look, even if you disagree with what I say, even if you think, say, that, that my solutions are unworkable or that they're, you know, whatever, that they're, that they're not even desirable, I hope at least that you can agree with me about one thing, that now is the time for fundamental change. We really do need to change the way that we're living and the way that we're eating because it's only it's only harming us and it's benefiting people it's benefiting people who want to harm us and we we need to do something about that and we need to do something about that fast there is this urgency in terms of pushing back and as you said it so correctly the time is now and I'll just take the opportunity to plug in another uh, thing you've worked on that's coming out this fall the Tucker documentary on uh, on manhood Yes, the end, the end of men. On the end of men, and it ties in really well with this. And thanks to you, I got an early preview. But when I say, you know, the survival of of us as a species depends on what we do now. It's not an exaggeration. And in the documentary, you have this scientist. I, I forget her name. 
Shanna Swan. Yeah, she talks about the decline of fertility and how by 2050 the levels of testosterone are going to be so low that we're not even going to be able to reproduce. Yes, no, so it's, so it's sperm counts. So Shanna Swan has this new book. She's been on Joe Rogan. So if you want to, if you want a, a quick sort of primer on her, watch her appearance on Joe Rogan. But she's got this new book called Countdown. It came out came out last year, and it is about the fertility crisis uh, in men and women, but especially in men. And her prediction, which is just an extrapolation of current trends, is that by 2045. The majority of men, or the median man, will have、uh, zero sperm. So what that means basically is that fifty percent of all men will produce no sperm whatsoever, and the other fifty percent of men will produce so few sperm as to be functionally infertile. So you know you might as well be infertile because you're only producing three sperm or something. And this is completely tied. To what you discuss、yes. in the book, which is the quality of the food that we're putting、yes. into our bodies. Yes, yes, it's the quality. It's the quality of the food that we're putting into our bodies, and it is the the bio warfare that、yes. is being waged against us. The the terrible, the terrible chemical. It is chemical warfare. The, the the terrible chemicals that we are bathed in every day. So BPA, phthalates. Um, all sorts of other estrogenic substances, atrazine, all these pesticides and herbicides that are also endocrine disruptors that disrupt our hormones.、Um, and the thing is, the thing is, I was talking about this actually on Infowars. Ev- they are they are literally everywhere. They're at the bottom of the ocean. They're on the top of mountains. They're in the rivers. They're in the food. They're even in the air, because、uh, you know, studies have shown now that microplastics. Which are vectors for estrogenic and endocrine disrupting chemicals. The microplastics actually circulate in the air on wind currents. So they're they're actually basically now a force of nature. And so microplastics end up in places human beings have never been before. So there's no. I mean, this is this is a big black pill. This is a big black pill, and、um, it's not nice to know that actually you cannot get away from these awful chemicals. But what you can do is you can seriously mitigate your exposure to them. So that's something that I have advocated and advocate in the book.、Um, and the documentary does a good job. And the documentary. Yeah. 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 So that so that 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 is the central. That is one of the central focuses of the documentary. Is the Is the chemical warfare that is being waged on men's bodies, which is having all sorts of terrible effects, from making men overweight、uh, and develop breasts to being infertile and having low testosterone and、uh, all the things that go with that, lack of purpose, depression, hair loss. So yes, I mean the title, the title of the documentary, "The End of Men," is very apt. It's not, it's not an exaggeration, although of course. Commentators on the left like to play it down, but actually, no, it's not, it's not an exaggeration at all. It is a it is a clear and present threat to the future of the species. You know, I think it's very hard for people who haven't gone down the rabbit hole or had the time to do this research to comprehend the magnitude of what we're discussing in terms of the different machinations of the globalists the past hundred years. And it's a challenge to lay it all down. And I think both your book and the documentary, which you'll have to come back on the podcast to discuss when it when it comes out, but both these projects do 
a tremendous service and we need people like you that bring all this information to light in a way that people who aren't awakened yet can understand it. Yes, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think that, I think that Tucker actually has been incredibly brave to produce this documentary because, I mean, the trailer was, the trailer was... They lost their minds. They lost their minds, you know, was subject to a certain amount of ridicule because of the, because of the wonderful montage that took place in the second half and began with a man sunning his testicles outside on top of a rock with a Jew red light machine to the strains of Thus Spake Zarathustra. But, um... Well, without giving out any spoiler alerts, I mean, if they lost it with the trailer, they can just wait until yeah. the whole thing drops. It's so good. Oh, oh God, I, I actually think that, that some of them are going to take off into orbit. You'll be able to see them at night in the sky. <laughs> yeah. They'll be, they'll be orbiting the Earth on fire. Um, yeah, they, they, they will go crazy about it. And, yeah. and Tucker, Tucker knows that. Uh, we, we, we all know that. Everybody yeah. who's been involved in it knows that. Yeah. But he's, he's been very brave to do it because it's something actually that people, that people need to know about and actually they're not being told about. And the scale of the problem is, is tremendous. But it is a, like all of these problems, it is a problem that we can solve. It is a problem that we can solve eventually. But first, we have to acknowledge that there is a problem. You know, that's, that's always the first stage of, of sorting out a problem, is acknowledging that there actually is a problem. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do as well with the book. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to tell people, look, this is what they're trying to do to us. This is what they're trying to do to the food that we, that we eat and, and to us and to our lives. And uh, I, 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 I just pray that the, that the book will resonate with as many people as possible. Listen, it's it's brilliant, and I don't say that uh, because you're my friend. It's incredibly timely, and it's timeless. It's the facts. It's it's a snapshot of where we are right now. The book is going to stand the test of time because, again, it's not hyperbole. It's fact-based, and we need to heed your call, and we need to follow your, your advice for the sake of, of our well-being and our survival. So I can't stress enough the importance for those listening to pick up a copy and uh, the last thing I'll say perhaps uh, to round up the conversation is that I'll also put a link to your latest issue of your magazine Man's World because uh, I have my regular column in there where I interview guests and well we decided to do the interview in conversation with Ren with Raw Egg Nationalist so that we could further expand on the themes of the book so yeah, so if, if you're interested, if you're interested in learning a bit more, maybe before you buy the book, then read the interview, and uh, I'm sure that whatever queries you have uh, will be answered there, and uh, you can proceed on to reading the book. Yeah, you'll have to come back on uh, soon, Ren. I would, I would love to. It's always a pleasure, Nor. Yeah, it's uh, it's always great speaking with you. Great to record it, to record this call. For a second time and uh, next time you come on we'll we'll laugh about uh, how their heads exploded after the documentary aired i really can't wait me too we'll speak soon yeah speak soon take care Ren. bye bye bye, bye.